Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. Uh, today's guest is Jody Kazenko, who's the president and CEO of Torex Gold Resources, an intermediate gold producer based in Canada, um, and they're engaged in exploration, development, and operation of its 100% owned Molores Gold property in Mexico. Um, Jody's recently been appointed the president and CEO, and I just wanted you to come on the sh- uh, come onto the podcast to share your journey um, and give some advice to some inspiring mining professionals who want to sort of emulate your success um, to what you've uh, achieved to date. So. Like to welcome Jodie to the podcast. How are you doing, Jodie? I'm doing just fine, Rob. Thank you for having me. No, I appreciate your time. Um, appreciate if you can just give the audience a little bit about your background. Um, and this is how we start most of our podcasts off. So if you can give us a, a little bit of your journey um, from when you perhaps graduated uh, back in the day to where you are sort of now. Um, and I've got some questions around Torex Gold. So um, hand it over to you. Yeah, sure. Happy to tell you a little bit about myself. And I'll start a little bit earlier than when I graduated. Because I think, yeah, where I grew up is a little bit important to the story. Yeah, I grew up in a place called Sudbury, Ontario, which is a northern part of Canada. Um, Some of the listeners may have heard about it. It is really the nickel mining capital of the world. Uh, Mining was everywhere. The landscape is dotted with head frames and slag dumps. My own father was a beat mechanic at one of the oldest, biggest mines in the basin, Stoby Mine, at a company called Inco Limited. Okay, yeah. And so grew up against that backdrop. And when I was making decisions about university in the late 80s, mining really wasn't a thing for women, notwithstanding my upbringing. Uh, So when I went away to school, I made a decision to go to law school. I was going to live in a bigger city and practice law and do anything but mining in a small town. Um, After I graduated law school, I went into private practice for the better part of 10 years, and I quickly grew bored by that. A lot of repetition in that uh, area of work, and I wanted to do something more. And ironically, I saw an opportunity for an opening for a lawyer at Inco, which is the company where my father was a mechanic. Uh, By this point in my life, he had passed away. And so I applied for the job thinking that, man, would he just be proud of me if I worked at the company where he was in the underground mines. Uh, So I went for it. I didn't know a whole lot about mining uh, at the time, but applied for the job and uh, happily got it. Spent some time in the legal role at INCO, and uh, the interesting period of time was when Valet, the iron ore major, acquired the company. So I was in the legal role at that time. And shortly after that, it became clear to me, Rob, that all of the most complex problems and all of the coolest people were in the operations. And so, and that's where you wanted to go. 
Yeah, that's where I wanted to go. I mean, it just seemed like it was the best work and the best people. And I had a boss at the time who believed in me and was willing to take a chance on me and move me into an operational role. Um, and one of the beauties of working at a major is that you can take experience in different areas of the business at different times in your career if you are authentically curious and willing to learn and deliver on results. Um, and so I used my time at Inco and then Valet to be able to do that. Met all of the old timers I could, asked all of the good questions I could ask and learned absolutely everything I could learn. I uh, rounded out my time at Valet some 15 years later as uh, the director of refining and then moved into the director of business strategy for the Ontario operations. Uh, and then it was time for me to make another decision. Do I wanna stay in base metals and do I wanna stay at a major? Um, ultimately, I made the decisions to take another leap in my career in 2018 when I joined Torex Gold. Uh, knew not a lot about the gold space and certainly not a lot about Mexico and the culture there. I had my own ideas of what that would be, uh, but made the leap into the role of the chief operating officer. Importantly for me, it created a new opportunity or a new platform from which to do things that are important to me, which is to use mining as a platform from which to make positive change in society. And where we mine in Guerrero, Mexico, we had some unique opportunities to do that. So it felt like a perfect fit. Took on the role in late 18, had a bang up year in 2019 from a safety production and cost perspective, and then uh, stepped into the CEO role in June of this year. Um, so I'm busy trying to fill this chair. It's feeling a little big still at the moment, but that's okay. um, sort of the story of how I got to where I got. Yeah. So I just obviously want to go to present day. Um, you've obviously been recently obviously appointed, as you mentioned, uh, the president and CEO of Torex Gold. Um, and one of the few females in the industry to hold a CEO position. Can you tell us a little bit about your story from when you joined Torex Gold, which has led you now to where you are now? Um, and what, what sort of steps you, you went through? Was there anything that you did that made you then become the CEO? Um, I mean, was it any achievements? Was there any skills or experiences that you had that gave you that opportunity? Yeah, I mean, I think maybe that's the case. Uh, and I don't really put too much credence in the fact that I'm a woman. I am, I was a chief operating officer. I believe that we delivered excellence in performance on all things operations in 2019. Um, we had an outstanding year in terms of safety performance. We uh, um, are now crossing the line of 8 million hours lost time injury free, which by any standard in the industry is absolutely exceptional. And when you think about delivering that against the backdrop of a socially complex place like Guerrero, Mexico, where much of your workforce comes from a background of subsistence farming, it makes that achievement all the more remarkable. I also think that we um, just hit it out of the park on both production and costs in 2019. It was a record year on production. We delivered 454,000 ounces of gold, which was a 28% improvement from year prior. And on costs, um, the margins were brilliant. We delivered $181 million of cash flow in 2019. I'm supported in no small part by a bolstered gold price. Yeah. Um, but, but I would say throughout my career, 
different opportunities have opened up for me because of my drive for excellence in results. That has served me well. Um, and um, my advice to people is perform in the role that you're in and other roles will follow. <laughs> yeah. I don't really sort of set, I never have set my sights. I've never uh, navigated my career based on, I wanna be two years in this role and then two years in that role and two years in that role. Uh, perform in the role you're in, use it as a platform from which to make a difference, deliver the business results that you can, have a positive impact on the life, lives of the people that you interact with at the time, and then the next role will follow. So I believe that's very much been part of my journey all the way up to CEO of Taurus. Yeah. Would you say you brought, you in particular has brought some certain skills and experiences with you into the role that may have put you uh, in that position over someone, maybe someone else? Is there any particularly unique skills and experiences that you have brought to the role? Yeah, you know what I learned through my time at uh, Inco and then Ballet as I was being transitioned into different roles, I learned to ask really good questions, listen to the answers, make sure that I understood the answers. I learned to frame up problems in a way that we're solving the actual problem that's getting in the way of the operations. And so I think this idea that I, ne I didn't have a technical background from school, I'm not a mining engineer, I'm not a metallurgist by trade. So that enabled me to uh, build a process by leaning on experts and people and asking excellent questions, getting good answers, framing that up in solvable problems, and getting people focused on the important goals. So if I had to describe a skill set, it would be about that, about building a culture that delivers excellence through uh, learning together and being fierce with the facts about what's in the way of achieving excellence and how do we get there. Yeah, and I suppose you, you mentioned, obviously, you ask a lot of questions. And I think sometimes it's asking the, I wouldn't say stupid questions, but very basic questions, because asking those basic questions, you're going to draw more information out from the person that you're asking and not overcomplicate it because they would then overcomplicate it and then you probably won't understand it. So it's, I suppose it is asking very basic questions and getting the fundamentals right so you actually have a clear understanding of their specialization. Yeah, I mean, it's really important to get a clear understanding of the specialization, to get a clear frame up of the problem so yep. that you're actually solving a problem that exists and then to get a clear frame up of the path forward. And so I think those things are often overlooked. People often, at least in our industry, move into solution space. We're going to do this. We're going to do this initiative. And you'll hear me often, my team often hears me step back and say, wait a minute, what's the problem we're trying to solve here? What is the business problem we're trying to solve? And what are we trying to achieve because of it? And by pulling back and really getting clarity on framing the issues, um, then the technical pieces fall in play. There's we have tons of technical people around us to help. Yeah. Those. Yeah. yeah. And I suppose as the CEO, it's, it's about you bringing all these technical capabilities together um, and getting them to work together to solve the problem or challenges that are happening in front of you. I definitely consider myself, Rob, to be a dot connector. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is the job of any leader in an organization. Um, if you're going to work beyond silos, create a culture that works and solve complex problems, 
that have tentacles into other areas of the business, you had best be working at them all at the same time. So dot connecting is very important. Yes, for sure. that is. Yeah. Um, can you give us a little bit background of uh, Torex Gold and obviously your operation in Mexico? Um, yeah. Maybe any challenges uh, the company has faced and potentially facing um, at the moment, obviously during these uh, unpre unprecedented times. Sure. I'm happy to say Torex Gold is an intermediate gold producer. We're headquartered right here where I'm sitting in Toronto, Canada, uh, a market cap of $1.8 billion. Our principal asset is in uh, the Morelos Gold property. It's located in an area of the world called the Guerrero Gold Belt, which is highly prospective. Um, for the listeners who don't know where that is, it's about 180 kilometers southwest of Mexico City. So not all the way to Acapulco, but about halfway in between there, there's mountains with uh, lots of gold. Uh, in 2019, as I said, we produced 450,000 ounces of gold, which makes us the second largest producer in all of Mexico in that year. And I would say we're well on track to becoming the largest in the coming years. Uh, our assets in Guerrero include what we call the Elimon Wajes asset, or ELG for short. It's easier for Anglo people to say ELG than yeah. Elimon Wajes. Uh, it consists of three open pits, two underground deposits, and then we have a fully integrated processing plant. So a leach circuit, a refinery, and we produce uh, dory bars for sale to the market. We started commercial production in 2016. In terms of our employee base, we employ uh, almost 900 employees directly, another 1,200 contractors. And we're very proud to say that about 70% of our workforce is directly from Guerrero, Mexico. And a full 99% of our workforce is from the country of Mexico, including our local management team. And so it's not as though a bunch of us from Canada are living in Mexico, are traveling to site and running the operations. It is very much Mexican run. Yeah. Um, and our pits, the open pit assets, uh, they're scheduled to be depleted in mid 2023. And so we're focused on ensuring long-term production in the Guerrero Gold Belt. Um, we are building another mine called the Medialuna deposit, which is about seven kilometers away from the ELG assets south of us across the river. Uh, the Medialuna deposit, we did a preliminary economic assessment in September of 2018, and meet, we are now midway through a feasibility study. The PEA had a mine life of 11 years, and uh, the magnetic anomaly is only 25% drilled off. So we believe we're going to be mining in Guerrero, Mexico for years to come. Importantly, beyond the existing assets, uh, we think there are significant future opportunities at beyond ELG and Medialuna. We have a sizable land package there, Rob, 29,000 hectares, 75% uh, of which is unexplored. And so we have a solid production profile in the short term. We'll bring on Medialuna in the midterm and then go look and see what else that property has to offer in Guerrero, Mexico. Yep. How's uh, community relations and relations with the uh, local governments in that particular area? Um, have you had any challenges that you've had to face, uh, obviously, during your, during your time there? Yeah, I would say I would characterize our community relations and our relationships with government as nothing short of excellent. 
I think we are viewed in the industry in Mexico to be an example of how responsible mining is done, an example of how to uh, operate in a way that peacefully coexists with the natural environment. We have a very small footprint there. We're permitted to discharge water, but we don't, we never have. Our air emissions are very limited, a little bit of dust. Uh, and our relationships with the local communities are characterized by mutual economic benefit and mutual trust and respect. We've worked very hard to develop those relationships. Very early on, uh, when the mine went first went into production right after development, as the community was coming to terms with having an operating mine in its backyard, we did have some instances where there was disruption from either the community or the union wanting to be our union. Um, so we did have some instances of disruption. The last one we had was more than two years ago. And it's important to note um, how that one came to a conclusion. The community ultimately, after a period of disruption, a period of blockade, uh, put us back to work. The community mm -hmm. came in and said, this company is a good company. We need to get back to work. We want this mine to operate again. And so we believe that was a pivotal period in our history where our, our continued operations became a bit of the mission of the community. And when you have that sort of social endorsement, that is a very, very powerful thing. And so, so Yes, our, our joint economic interests, when the mine succeeds, the community succeeds, our relationships with our union are very healthy, our relationships with our employees and contractors are characterized by mutual uh, respect and trust, and um, we, are, we are viewed quite positively from a political perspective. So I would say against the backdrop of a very complicated and operating environment, um, Torex has been a bit of a shining star in that yeah. area. Very and I imagine the company must have felt pretty proud when something like that happened, and especially the employees as well, when the community's saying, saying to you guys, oh, we want all you guys to get back to work. So it must, that must be a proud feeling managing uh, and running the company, um, as well as obviously the, the staff and employees. It must have gave them a big morale lift. Oh, I, absolutely. And I would say to you, we experienced a, a very similar thing um, on the back of COVID. Okay. So in, in March of this year, uh, as COVID was starting to make its way around the world, Mexico was no different. The government was coming to terms with how it was going to respond. Ultimately, it essentially shut the, the country down. Uh, our operations were impacted by that as well, as mining wasn't at the outset declared an essential service. Um, and so we went down for the month of April. And though we continue to pay our employees, because we have this deep commitment to doing what is yeah. uh, right, though we continue to pay them, we weren't in the communities, our contractors weren't in the communities, and they felt that. Yeah. And so as we were going back to advocate with the government that mining ought properly be declared an essential service, that we can operate in a way that protects the health and safety of the employees through COVID, the community was a big supporter in that. They wanted us to get back to work. They wanted the business in their communities. And so that sort of connection between the success of the company and the success of the community, when you get that, yeah. it is so rewarding and so fulfilling. 
Um, and it is uh, one of the proudest things I think uh, that I've ever had the privilege to be a part of. I mean, Rob, in that community, when we built that mine there, we resettled 167 families. Yeah, and okay. so these people, and we were recognized by the Inter-American Development Bank, these people now have access to electricity, clean running water, sewage treatment, water treatment, Wi-Fi, education, good paying jobs. And so as a leader, when you get to be a part of making a difference in society that way, there's nothing better than that. I mean, yeah. sure, sure, we have a business to run. Sure, we have margins to generate. Sure, we are looking out for the best interests of our shareholders. And I happen to think that the best way of doing that is in a way that engages the community and your employees and contractors and unions. So yeah. something and, to be really and, and how did COVID, obviously, once you got back to work, have you changed a lot of your operations because of COVID? And ha what, what kind of things have you changed? Uh, there have been many, many changes in operational protocols because of COVID. And I would say, you know what I talked about, our health and safety record? We achieved that sort of record for a number of reasons. Getting the right leaders in the right roles, disciplined use of safety systems as designed, and rules around safety that people are, that are clear, that people know what the rules are and they know why they are in place. And so against that cultural backdrop, when we started to get ideas about how to manage COVID risks yep. so that our operations could continue producing. We were able to generate ideas, crystallize what the new rules are and implement them fairly seamlessly and have tremendous take up and rule compliance with the workforce because of the backdrop of that culture. What are some of the things we've done? We've staggered starts um, for shifts so that we don't have people in vans all crowded in together yep. so that some of them come in at 6, some of them 6.30, some of them at 7. Similarly, at lunch hours, we don't have people eating all together. They eat at individual tables. Like every other business, people are wearing masks. People are hand sanitizing. People are washing hands. We've made wash bins and wash basins available to our employees. We are privileged to have four medical doctors on staff and about a dozen paramedics. These people have been extremely busy during COVID. And I would say one of the key controls that we identified very early on was the need to screen for COVID symptoms before people arrived at rotation. So we have a detailed three-step screening process. If you're going in for rotation, you screen at home, you screen at a travel hub, and you screen at gate. Okay. And if you have any symptoms, you're not permitted on site. You go home, let those symptoms manifest and report back on whether you were sick or not sick. And that has stood us really well. At last count, we had about 37 confirmed COVID cases. The vast majority of them, all but three, developed symptoms while at home, not at the site. Yeah. And so, so because of those controls, we've been effectively able to limit contagion to this point um, and will continue to do so. The other important thing I would say, Rob, is during this period of time, we have completely put our arms around our local communities given them access to information, education, hand sanitization, uh, masks, information about how COVID is progressing. Um, and so it was important for us that the bubble not just be extended to our operations, yeah. that it actually embrace our local communities so we could be in this together in some yeah. constructive way.
yeah no that's good to hear um what are some of the sort of current and future priorities for you as the ceo of torex torex gold i i torex was bought 10 years ago so i always think about it as the last 10 and the next 10 and so i get to sit i get the privilege of sitting in the chair for the next 10 which is uh very exciting to me i've already talked about the asset in mexico uh Um, in addition to that asset, it's complemented by an equally outstanding team. And on a go-forward basis, uh, we have several areas of focus, but they're all guided by this overall business objective of generating value for our shareholders, absolutely, and making a positive difference in society. And so when I think about the go-forward pillars, uh, very much in the very short term, it's about to continue to do what we're doing at our ELG assets continue to build on our record of safety excellence. We want to turn 8 million hours into 9 million hours, then 10, then 11, um, lost time injury free. What we talk about on safety is no lives lost, no lives changed in our operations due to workplace injury. And that is our guiding light as it relates to safety. We want to continue to generate cash um, for our shareholders and that cash will set us up for the future at Torex. For the midterm, as we come to the end of life of our ELG assets in mid-2023, we will bring on Medialuna, which is currently in feasibility study. We expect that feasibility study to be concluded by mid-next year. And we're bringing on production from that mine in the early part of 2024. So there will be a seamless transition from the ELG assets to Medialuna production. This will keep us mining in Guerrero for at least another decade, and in my estimation, probably another generation. Two other very interesting things on the horizon for us. We are in the midst of proving up what we call Makahai, which is a mining system, a very innovative, proprietary to Torex mining system that we believe is a complete rethink of underground mining. And we believe this will open up different strategic opportunities for us as we get our eyes on the horizon in terms of mergers and acquisitions. And uh, which brings us to my last point, we are uh, very busy evaluating M&A opportunities that would see us diversifying away from single asset risk. And so opportunities that uh, enable profitable and productive geographic diversification are very much on the horizon. As it turns out with the current gold prices, uh, the price of companies has run up. Yeah, and I so, um, yeah, I, and so one of the, one of the excellent things for us is that we're in this privileged position of not having to do M&A to have a successful, healthy underlying business. We have a successful, healthy underlying business in Guerrero, Mexico. So we will be very strategic and opportunistic about M&A opportunities and about doing those on the back of Makahai. So I believe that 10 years from now, uh, my hope is that me and my team will be at the top of the house of a one and a half million ounce producer uh, with a diversified uh, group of assets in the Americas and Mexico, uh, where we have broadened out our ability to uh, deliver value for shareholders and make a positive difference in society. So I'm pretty pumped about what the next 10 years brings. Yeah, it sounds exciting. I'll certainly be following uh, your progress. Um, I've read that innovation is a key part of Torex's DNA. Um, Can you tell us more about the 
about that, and specifically about the uh, Maka, Maka High mining system that you just uh, mentioned. I hope I uh, pronounced that right. Yeah, Maka High. Yeah, I, that was named uh, because uh, my boss, our executive chair, Fred Stanford, has been uh, designing Makahai both in his head and on paper for years. <laughs> and he will, he will tell you, he will tell you when he was a mine superintendent at uh, an old mine up in Sudbury, Ontario, when he lined up his crew on any day, he would leave, the last thing he said to his crew on any given day was Makahai, which meant get her done in any day. And so that's how that name is. Yeah. Um, but in terms of innovation, I would say it, innovation is a key part of the Torex DNA. We've never been afraid of it. Um, quite the contrary, we've always been embracing of it, even when others were a little bit afraid. And we believe that the culture of innovation helps us to deliver significant value and mitigate risk in a way that differentiates us from our peers. And so I'll give you a couple of current examples and then I'll talk a little bit more about Makahai. Yeah. Uh, the first example I'll talk about is RopeCon, which is uh, short for rope conveyor. And it is a system, Rob, that conveys ore from the top of the mountain down to the processing plant over a 1.3 kilometer span and a 400 meter delta in elevation. Now, the system was put in play to mitigate a safety risk of 90-ton trucks uh, operating on switchbacks down a mountain. But the beauty of that system is that it conveys ore and mitigates the safety risk and generates um, significant financial benefit for the company as well. It reduces the number of trucks we need and associated operating costs with the trucks. It generates most of the energy it consumes. It produces one meg of energy. It reduces GHG and dust emissions. And so that little example of the rope con that you see when you drive in or fly into the ELG site, it looks a bit like a ski lift coming out of the cloud. I was just trying to picture it actually. Yeah, I mean, the, the pictures are quite frankly amazing. And the only thing more amazing than the photographs is seeing it in person. Yeah. Think about a ski lift from the top yeah. of a mountain to the very, um, to the midway of the mountain where the processing plant is. Yeah. And it's continuous conveyance from the crusher to ore storage before it makes its way into the mill. That's RopeCon. The next example I do want to touch on, because I think this is important from an industry perspective, it's the way we manage our tailings. Obviously, yeah. it's a topic uh, that many investors and all of society is quite appropriately concerned with, uh, given the catastrophic events we have seen in the news. Very early days, we decided to build a best-in-class dry, dry stack filter tailing storage facility, uh, one of the largest in the world. Uh, essentially, we filter our tailings to about 17% moisture. We spread them over a field, compact them, stack them, and that's the nature of the storage facility. This is very important uh, because we operate in a highly seismic area. And so the idea of uh, pumped tailings with uh, tailings buttresses and dams didn't seem like a good risk-based idea to us. And so the idea of spending a little bit more capital up front to build a filtered plant and do a filtered tailing storage facility seemed like wise value for dollar in order to mis mitigate the risk of tailings dams failures or tailings dams mm -hmm. concern that most of society um, uh, is worried about these days. Yeah. The, other beauty, the other beauty of dry stack tailings is that 
It limits our water use, which is consistent with our philosophy about mitigating environmental footprint. We think we use about 1.5 million cubic meters less of water a year than, than we would otherwise use with pump tailings. So in an area where people are suitably concerned about water and water, water availability and water quality, um, that seemed like a responsible decision to us. Mm. So Brookcon, dry stack tailings, two examples of us embracing innovation to build a facility uh, that mitigates safety risk, mitigate environmental risk, and delivers value for shareholders. Yeah, and I suppose it comes back to where you said you look at a, a problem or a challenge and looking at it from a business perspective and trying to make, look at that challenge and try and design something to mitigate what potentially could happen, which is what you explained earlier. Exactly, and so my view of the world, Rob, is that you don't have to pursue environmental benefits at the expense of your business. Often those solutions come in the same package. You just have yeah. to think about them enough and get creative enough. So you can generate cash for shareholders and mitigate business risk and run a safe environmentally sound business all at the same time. Yeah. You just have to be willing to frame the problem correctly. Yeah. Um, and so I do want to transition into talking about Makahai. Um, yeah. It's, it's uh, the most current example of our innovation, proprietary to Torex, and it is currently in test uh, mode at our LMO Deep underground operations at ELG and has been since 2019. So we've gone from concept and idea to design to actually building to it's actually hung in the mine at ELD and being tested now. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that it has the potential to um, generate significant value, not just for Torex, but to be a bit of a game changer for the mining industry as well. There's lots of ways to uh, talk about how Makahai came about, and I could spend probably an hour explaining what it is, but I will tell you in brief, this is what it is. Where a traditional underground mine uses scoops and haul trucks to carry ore to the surface in a discontinuous or batch process, Makahai uses roof-mounted monorail-based systems to access the ore and have conveyors that then move ore from the face right out to the mine, out, out the side of the mine in a continuous process, in a continuous process. And so a full Makahai mine is expected to be all electric with equipment powered by the grid or battery power. With no diesel trucks or other heavy equipment, CO2 emissions are expected to be reduced by as much as 95%, making for a safer, healthier workplace for our employees. Also, the ventilation requirements are reduced because you're not trying to ventilate diesel, which drives down OPEX costs. And importantly, from a CAPEX perspective, construction costs for a Makahai mine are expected to be about 30%, up to 30% lower than for a conventional mine. Why is that? When you hang the equipment from a monorail, it enables you to angle the tunnels at 30 degrees, which is about four times as steep as traditional conventional mining. When you drive tunnels that are four times as steep, you can have a quarter of the length of tunnels to achieve the same elevation change. So you can just chase an ore body right on down to where you need to be and get mining very early on in the process. So smaller tunnels, less development means less capex. And in an industry where we've been largely accused of being capital vampires, you know, investors give us $1 and 10 years from now, you might see $2 back. 
uh, less CapEx, less OpEx, and faster time to ore or faster return on investment. Those are the promises of this Makahai mining technology. And so we're very excited about trialing it at ELD, and we're very excited about the strategic opportunities that opens up for us in terms of M&A and beyond. Yeah, I mean, it seems, it seems, and I'm trying to again picture it in my head, but it seems quite a complicated process, but it probably isn't. Have you got other companies, contractors helping you with putting all this together? Um, I suppose from the technology perspective, I guess Yeah, so. I, I would say most of the design has been done in-house. I have uh, uh, the ex-CEO of Torex and the current executive chair, a process engineer by trade. Uh, anybody who knows him knows he likes to fiddle with design endlessly and solve complex problems. And so uh, the vast majority of the design has been in-house. It's been engineered by a company based in Northern Ontario, so not a big giant engineering house. Yeah. Um, and it's been tested in a couple of areas, one test site we have in Monclova, one test site in Poland. Uh, and I would say the beauty of the Makahai technology is that it's elegant in its simplicity. There is, it is not a big digitization effort that um, people have a hard time following the plot on. It really unpacks and repacks existing mining equipment in a way that makes it more efficient, gets us two lane traffic on single lane roads in tunnels half the size at a 30 degree um, incline. And so Nothing really scary about it, just a complete innovative rethink about the underlying process. Much of the mining industry today is focused on digitizing processes, yeah. which definitely has its place. We sort of say, if you're digitizing a process that is fundamentally inefficient, then you have a different way of looking at it, but it's still the same fundamentally inefficient process. And yeah. so my is aimed at tackling the underlying process. How do we make it safer, faster, better, cheaper to get ore from underground to surface? Yeah. And obviously, I take it, it will be successful once it's fully implemented. Are you then looking to replicate that in potentially other mines or use that concept and maybe put, uh, sell it into other, to other companies and into other mines? Has, has anyone thought about further down the line or just worrying about your actual own own operation and making it successful. Yeah, so very good, Rob. I, we haven't yet finalized the commercialization strategy yeah. for Makahai. We want to prove it up first. Our yeah. motto on proving it up has always been, if you're going to fail, fail fast, fail cheap. And so test the yeah. hard stuff first and then finish your testing program after that. That's what we're doing. Uh, once we're satisfied that, we will get really serious about the commercialization of yeah. Makahai. It could look like a service offering. It could look like entering into joint ventures with companies that have inaccessible ore, much of which will be below shaft bottom. In the city that I come from, Sudbury, they've been mining there for 100 years. All the easy stuff is gone, so they're getting really deep yeah. now. Makahai technology is especially suited for below shaft bottom applications because you need less ventilation. You don't yeah. need to ventilate um, as significantly as you do with traditional equipment. Or we might buy um, some mines that are uneconomic on conventional mining, become very economic using Makahai mining. Yeah. And so the likely result of a commercialization, commercialization strategy will be some combination of those things. Yeah. Um, the key for us first is proving up in a way that we're satisfied with so we can go on it when we're ready. Yeah. Um, Torex operates in what you can 
be fairly characterized as a pretty rough jurisdiction in obviously Mexico. Um, to which to which you actually obviously mine within within like Mexico. Um, what has been the secret to your success in terms of achieving the kind of operational excellence um, that Torex has been able to achieve? The secret to your success, I would say, is a combination of things. Um, but one of the fundamentals is workplace culture and having a healthy and productive workplace culture. We think it's critical. Uh, there's no there's no secret to the fact that mining is a complex industry. Getting ore from the depths of the earth and pulling it up from underground to transform it into a saleable product and doing that safely and efficiently is complicated work. One of the most complicated things about it, Rob, is that it takes a lot of people to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, look, look at our operations. We produce 13,000 tons a day, 450,000 ounces a year. And we have about 2,000 people that we need rowing in the same direction to get that done and get it done safely. And so from the very beginning, Torix understood how critical it is to have a workplace where a lot of people came in and are engaged. We define engagement as when employees come in, they willingly give the best they've got every day. Just give me the best you've got and and I'm happy with that. Um, So from the outset, we were deliberate and systematic about creating a workplace experience where employees would do that. And it requires a foundation for us. The foundation is called systems leadership. This applies at all levels of the organization from the workers at the face right up to my office. And there are entire books written about systems leadership, but puts very simply, It's a series of interconnected models that leaders, when they use them, we believe we have three tools of leadership. One is your leadership behavior. The other is systems of work. And the third is symbols. And so when you use those things, those three things together in concert, it empowers team leaders to structure, organize, monitor, and implement work in a way that engages their crews, their teams, that sort of thing. And importantly, all of this gets done against the backdrop of what we call the values continuum. This is one of the Torex foundational models. Other companies out there, executives write and rewrite the company values pretty much once a year, once every two years. They change, poster on a wall. Torex values are the same. They always have been. They always will be. Trust, love, courage, dignity, honesty, fairness. And so that we call the values continuum and each of us every day as we interact with other people look to have our interaction occur on what we call the left-hand side of the values continuum, all the good stuff about that. And so systems leadership and values continuum, we build off of that in three very important ways, get the right leaders in the right roles, have a clear set of rules that make good sense, that people understand what they are and why they are in place, And this last bit, I'm always reluctant to talk about it uh, when I talk to minors, but I think it's actually important. And it is about connecting the head and the heart. Yeah. It's about connecting. People need a reason to work safely. They need a reason to work efficiently. And I'm not talking about the reason being that because your supervisor said so, or because your CEO set this goal, or because the system requires that you do that. I'm talking about a reason from your heart. I work safely because I want to get home to my family. I stop a crew member from doing something dangerous because I give a damn about that guy. I want to generate cash out of this business so that we can have a future in Guerrero and continue to make a positive difference. And so I think 
connecting the head and the heart is an important thing. It can be an uncomfortable thing to talk about depending yeah. on the audience, but to me it matters. And the combination of all of this work on workplace culture speaks for itself. Yeah. 2019, a bang up year. We've had an impressive bounce back from a COVID stoppage. And we have built excellent relationships with uh, the political governments, with our local communities, with our supplier base, with our supply chain, all because of this culture. And so I think it is an absolute differentiator for Torex. It's, it's been the fundamentals on which we've achieved the business success we have in Guerrero. Yeah. And how do you promote that then? So how do you promote what you just mentioned about the head and the heart? Is there, is there any particular processes that you do or initiatives um, that you try and promote within, within the operation and within the company? Yeah, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, what we started last year was, a, we call it a My Reasons campaign. Um, and essentially, we started to ask employees, hey, what are your reasons to get home safe? What are your reasons to work safely? That evolved, especially in the cultural backdrop like Mexico, where people are very relationship oriented. Yeah. That evolved to people having photographs of their family in their offices with a frame that says, my reasons to get home safe. It evolved to people having photographs of their loved ones on their name tags. So they're up in front of them. So when a supervisor comes up with an employee or when I'm in the field and come up to an employee, I can say, who's that? Tell me about her. Tell me about him. Tell me how you're going to work safely to get home to this person. Mm -hmm. And it actually gives you access to employees in a different way. We've also done some videos, uh, videotaping kids in our communities whose fathers work at the mine, talking about, hey, dad, would sure be great if you came home safe today, those sorts of things. And yeah. so we do um, very specific work to enable leaders to open up this conversation about connecting the head and the heart. Um, some of them are excellent at it, some of them are still learning. Yeah, and I suppose it's, it's down to what you mentioned at the beginning, asking questions and again, having more communication and open communication um, and not just do run of, the, run of the mill things and just try and put these initiatives. But like you said, questioning, asking people, I suppose giving them, asking them to think think a little bit more than just why you why why are you doing your your job and why why do you enjoy what you're doing, and it's just opening up a lot of range of communications. Which in any type of organisation, communication I think always needs to be improved, and it shows it does it shows that you're you've got some you're putting a lot of initiatives in into that. Yeah, I mean I think it's critically important, and and I would say Rob. It's important to note that communication is very much a two-way street. Yeah. I'm very clear about what the expectations are for my business. My team are very clear that I expect excellence. They're very clear on the outcomes, the business outcomes they're expected to achieve. And I wanna believe that I foster a culture of trust and openness so that when they have concerns, when they can see an iceberg in the future, when they see problems, they're not trying to hide them or solve them on their own. Mm. They can come to me and say, I see this problem. I need help in solving it. And then we can work together as a team to solve it. I often say listening is one of the key attributes of leadership excellence. People think it's all about having a vision or telling people what to do. 
turn your ears on instead. I often say leaders who don't listen will find themselves surrounded by people who have nothing to say. And so if you don't have that communication back from your workforce, I would argue that you're flying blind. And yeah. so that's a key p pillar for our effective workplace culture. Yeah, I don't know what the percentage is, but is it 90% listening, 10% speaking or something like that where you're actually listening, to, listening more than actually speaking? I, I don't know what the percentage is, but yeah. my grandfather used to tell me, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Figure yeah. it out, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I've got you. Um, what advice would you give women entering the mining industry? Um, and I've done quite a few podcasts now and I know the mining industry worldwide has a branded image. Um, so any, anyone coming into the industry or anyone thinking about the industry, that there is this stigma or a brand associated with mining. And I, I'd imagine for females, that's even more daunting. What advice would you give women that were thinking of entering the mining industry? And even if they are going into the mining industry, is there any advice that you can give them? Yeah, I get asked this question a lot, and I do agree with your point that mining has a brand image. It absolutely needs to reinvent itself to have a longer life. I think mining has the key to some of the solutions of the challenges of our time. We just need to get over this branding image yeah. and, and get some of the best, most talented people working in the industry so that we can then move on to solve climate change and some of the problems of our time. In terms of advice to women, Rob, I get asked this question a lot because I'm a woman. Yeah. Um, and, my, and my answer is generally that I give young men and young women the same advice, yeah. generally. Work hard, stay true to your values, and work with purpose, I say. And when I say work with purpose, I don't mean the small and very narrow purpose of whatever your assignment of the day was. Get this report done, do this analysis, meet this production target. Yes, those things are important. When I say work with purpose, I mean get yourself into a bigger game. Yep. Do something that matters more. Build constructive relationships with people. Make a positive difference in the lives of people that you touch. Leave the planet a little bit cleaner than you found it. Contribute to that bigger goal of using mining as a platform to improve society. And so I give that advice to both men and women who are coming up in the industry. But the one piece of advice that I give that is specific to women, because I do think this is gender specific, is quite simple. Be brave. Yeah. Be brave. Reach beyond what you think you can do. Um, certainly in the culture that I grew up in, we raise men, we raise our young boys up into men to have courage to try new things, confidence to branch out. Yet we seem to raise our daughters in a bit of a different way. We raise them to have this fear of making mistakes or this fear of trying new things or this, this fear of not being perfect. And this fear of, of making mistakes or not being perfect, in my estimation, often inhibits women from making important decisions, like applying for those jobs that are just a bit beyond their reach. And so when I see young women doing this, I say to them, knock it off, yeah. stop, just stop it. And something that I heard a while back has stuck with me. And the advice was this, think about your next challenge in the rule of thirds. A third of it should be comfortable, something that you know or are expert in. A third of it should be stretch, 
something that you need to study or get acquainted with. And a third of it should be absolute white knuckle terror where you're just gripping and hanging on because when you do that, you will grow and develop and push yourself and have new challenges and then new encounters. And so for young women, by pushing ourselves beyond what we think we can do and by applying for those jobs and seeking out and obtaining mentorship and just rejecting this notion that you have to be perfect, when that happens, I think you'll see more and more talented women get up through the pipelines and earn their rightful spots, not with quotas or anything else, earn the rightful spots at the head of organizations and boards. And when that happens, I think we will be a better industry for it. Yeah. So that's what I tell you. Yeah. I mean, they do say for in order to grow and develop, you have to sort of start, uh, go out of your comfort zone. So if you somehow put a plan in place where you learn a few new skills, and this is, I suppose, some, someone who's already in the mining industry, if you learn a few new skills and do some things that you probably always, you may have shied, shy away from, um, just do it because you'll learn something new. If you fail, that's fine because next time you attempt it, you know what to really expect. And I think if you just keep pushing yourself each week or each month doing something a little bit different, um, that's the that's the way you're going to grow as a as a as an individual um, and improve your personal development. I couldn't agree more. I think failing is part of the journey, and trying new yeah. things is an important part of the journey. Yeah. I personally have never done a podcast before. Yet, yeah, here I am <laughs> again. And when I actually launched this, um, this is, I'm coming up to nearly two years now. But again, this was this was completely out of my comfort zone launching this and I didn't know whether it would work or not and hopefully it is still working um but yeah that was something I wanted to do and I believe I should have should do it but it was completely outside my comfort zone but we're into 90 something episodes uh, later um and I think it was the right decision at the time but at the time I, I, was, I was a little bit fearful but I got over it and uh, continued so uh, that's my that's my little bit take on a uh, sort of personal development. Um, uh, I've got one last question. So, if we we, we want to just slowly wrap up, I just wonder if you can give us a sort of an overview or a wrap up or an outlook of what Torex Gold is going to be doing over the next, say, six to twelve months in the short term. Uh, very much uh, continuing to do what we're doing at ELG, continuing yeah. to build on our performance of safety excellence, continuing to generate a lot of cash from that asset to fund the future, um, continue with investor outreach and telling the story to the investment community to generate interest in Torex, proving up our Medialuna mine through the feasibility study um, so that we're secure in our future in Mexico and then getting our eyes to the horizon on intelligent M&A opportunities that are accretive to value that diversify away from single asset risk and build a company that we can all be proud of from which we will generate shareholder return and make a positive difference in this world. I'm convinced of it. Yeah. Jody, really appreciate your time. It's an interesting story and I'm sure there's so much uh, there's so much to uh, look forward to in the future and I'll certainly be following your uh, journey and I imagine a lot of the audience after listening to this were, will, will, will be the same and listening to uh, especially the Makahai mining system that, um, that you're going to be looking to introduce and, and put into obviously full use so um, really appreciate your time um, if our audience wants to reach out to you how can they go about doing that and are you on any social media platforms 
we're on LinkedIn. We're on LinkedIn. We have a good following there, some 13,000 people. And so I would encourage folks to look out there, look out for me personally on LinkedIn and other members of my management team. Um, and our website at www.torexgold.com has all of the information that anybody would want to need. I would also say, Rob, we're a pretty open shop. And yeah. so uh, what you see is what you get. We don't hide behind curtains. I'm not the Wizard of Oz. I'm just a woman yeah. trying to make a difference and run a mining company. So if you have any questions, feel free to follow up directly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, appreciate uh, you guys listening in the audience. Um, if you think anyone else that you know of in the industry would, would benefit from listening to this uh, episode, appreciate if you can uh, pass that on. Um, I think it's a really interesting story and uh, a lot of innovation and you've brought a lot of, a lot of ideas that if people listening, they can look at their own um, minds and own operations and maybe implement a few of the things that you've mentioned. So appreciate guys, if you can pass the, pass this um, podcast episode on to others, get them to listen, it, listen to it, um, and hopefully they can benefit like you have. So until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.